Hello, everyone, um, and welcome to this breakout session um, looking at wine people, um, ensuring the rights and well-being of workers, advancing equality and diversity, and nurturing good relations with neighbouring communities. Um, uh, we've got an excellent panel um, for the next 50 minutes. Um, we've got um, Emerentia Patentia, who's the Senior Project Officer for Fairtrade Africa, Alan Sechel, who's the President of the Bordeaux Wine Council and also um, Head of the eponymous um, Wine Organisation, and Jimeno Sanchez, who's the Network Representative for Amfori in Latin America. Um, when we had a, a, a sort of pre-get-together uh, yesterday afternoon, again, what was interesting was to see how <clears throat> you've got three people from very different parts of the world, so from Latin America... Southern Africa and um, and Europe, uh, how some of the issues that were talked about were mentioned were, were were in common, but the specifics of those issues and more importantly the the detail and the and the approach to addressing them was quite different location by location, um, and 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 you know this is interesting in terms of you know what there is to learn um, between regions when it comes to to to, to wine people issues. Um, so what I've asked the, the speakers to do is each of them to talk uh, specifically about the, the, the issues to do with uh, people in the wine business and where they are, um, the, challenge, the, the challenges they face and the approaches they've taken to doing that. Um, and, and then we'll sort of take that on into a discussion. Uh, and, and please, as um, Veritas just said, um, comments, questions, whatever, please put them into the chat box. Um, because, you know, obviously, if we can bring as many of you in the audience um, involved to, to get you involved in the um, discussion, that would be great. So, so comments, as in previous sessions, into the chat box, and I'll try to come to them as, as, as often as soon as I can. So without further ado, um, to talk about the specifics of the challenges they face and the approaches they're taking, I'm going to start. Um, I think Emirati is now is currently in Malawi, where I was back in the spring, um, but is normally in South Africa. So Emirati, to you first. Thank you so much, Dr. Peters, and good afternoon, everybody. Um, yes, in terms of the challenges that um, uh, we still face in South Africa, I think um, one of the major change, uh, challenges are uh, in terms of um, uh, labour uh, conditions of our workers. Um, I think a lot has been achieved um, since 1994, but there are still a lot of things that are not in place. Um, issues like uh, living wages, um, issues like um, medical um, aid and pension funds that workers still does not have. I think there's, there's situations on some of the farms. Um, and when I talk about the farms, I talk about farms in general in the Western Cape, where you have workers who work for 20 plus years on the farm. And when they, when they need to leave the farm uh, because they're too old or they become, um, uh, they cannot work any longer, uh, they walk off with nothing, nothing behind their name. Um, um, they have to find accommodation because they don't have a place to stay. And when they leave, they need to leave with their whole family, which still puts workers in a very vulnerable position. And these type of discussions always comes up when we sit with the workers and we discuss, and these are con uh, uh, concerns that they rate very highly. The other issues is around um, 
um, equality when it comes to um, earning um, the same salary. Uh, women still earns less than what men earn um, on some farms. You also have the situation around where you have a person of color earning less than um, the um, previously advantaged group. Um, so you will have so, uh, somebody with a good qualification working on the farm, um, but not earning as much as um, somebody who doesn't have the qualification, but because he belongs to the previously advantaged group, he earns more than um, the person of color. Um, the situations are of such that um, farm workers are also not unionized. Um, a study that was conducted, I think in 2017, found that only that less than 6% of workers on the farms were actually unionized. And for the unions, it also becomes a problem because they are unable to assist people who are not members of the union. Um, you also still find in discussions that um, I've had recently um, that workers still uh, feel victimized and um, uh, discriminated against should they choose to belong to a union. Unions still feel they are not allowed on the farm to workers. Sasha Mini, could you? Good, thank you. Yes, and unions feel that their, their hands are cut off because the workers are not members and the workers feel that um, the unions are not coming to their rescue because um, things hasn't changed. Things, in fact, in, in some instances, it, it's getting worse. Um, and government, on the other hand, has don't have enough labour inspectors to actually... Um, see that these things are being put in place. So those are still some of the challenges that we've experienced and that we find are still um, things that we, we are working at. Thanks very much indeed for that. Um, some interesting insights and it's interesting but perhaps not surprising that there's still a, a difference in pay rates depending on what colour your skin is. Um, Jimena, I'm going to come to you next, please. So the the the, the issues that you're facing and the approaches you're taking to do to deal with that in, in Latin America. Hello. Uh, first of all, thanks a lot for, for the invitation to join uh, this panel. Uh, it's very important from Amphori and, and also from our members to participate uh, in this kind of, of initiative. So thanks a lot for, for the invitation. Uh, in Amphori, we do have a code of conduct. Uh, it's an narcotic conduct uh, principle comes from uh, the Human Rights Declaration and also from the ILO Convention. So basically, our code of Conduct is the tool that our members use to monitor through auditing companies uh, the wine supply chain. I would say that the main uh, challenges that the wine supply chain uh, faces, mainly in, in Argentina and Chile, where I'm based in, in Mendoza, has to do um, with working hours. I mean, du during the harvest, it's very common and usual to find uh, a, a, a big number of working hours. And at the same time, this is a challenge because people have been waiting for the harvest to work uh, to, to work for extra hours or for an extra uh, time in order to increase 
uh, to, to, to increase the, uh, their income. But I would say that during the last 10 years, mainly the, the working conditions of the, of the of work of the workers that work at the wineries, they have improved a lot. But now I would say that the, the real challenge has to do with the second tier, uh, which is basically the grape growers. I mean, the grape growers that sell their grapes to their to the wineries are the ones that go that face um that face work uh, worse working conditions mainly uh, and that mainly has to do with informality uh, because they are they are higher uh, under the table let's say they are not higher under the working regulations for for the wine sector and our members are very aware of that because normally if you approach uh, if you approach a winery or the wine sector just by including the wineries, I mean, you will see and that the working conditions are fairly good. And we can say that in some wine producers, the conditions are very good. So the challenge is to go for that second uh, tier, which are the external grape growers. And, and I think that it's very important for, for the wine buyers. And I would say that also for the wine consumers to be aware that what is going on at the wine sector is not only what it, what it goes on at the winery level, but also at this other uh, tier, uh, which is the, the grape growers. So that that's that's a big challenge to go for this other group of, of, of people that work for the wine sector. Thanks for that. I, I, we're going to return to that later on because I think one of the things that's 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 important is is making sure that the thing covers the whole supply chain. Um, um, I mean, Toby and I a, a year or so ago did a, a very big piece of work looking at, at smallholder supply chains, and what's interesting is that almost all of the so looking at cocoa, coffee, palm, all that sort of thing, um, and what was interesting is that almost all of the attention goes on to the farmer but no one really looks at what happens thereafter. So, for example, you know, you talk to people bringing cocoa out of Colombia, coffee out of Colombia. They say, well, we know the conditions on the farm are fine, or at least monitored because they're certified. But what about the bloke that drives the truck, you know, or that, that brings the coffee down the mountain? Um, so we'll return to that part, that point about the onward supply chain, or the rest of the supply chain um, in a moment, because it's, I think it's a very important one. Um, before we do that, um, we'll kind of come to you, Alan, um, in administration a uh, uh, jurisdiction where one would would expect that 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 all of this is sorted but from from what you were saying yesterday that is not always the case so alan over to you thank uh thank you pete and uh, hello everyone delighted to be on the on the webinar um i think it's a never-ending issue anyway um we always need and want to do better in terms of uh, equality and uh, working conditions uh, of course, in France, we do have very extensive uh, employment regulation, uh, which is very severely enforced as well. Um, but um, that leads to other parameters. I mean, people being faced with this very strict regulation and um, vineyard work, work actually requires that seasonal workers uh, during the springtime and, of course, during uh, harvest time. So there's a very big influx of external uh, work, workship uh, here in the, in the vineyards at those particular times of the year. And because legislation is so strict, uh, what happened, we were faced with this phenomenon, 
where we get uh, vineyards subcontracting the employment of seasonal workers to specialized companies. So these companies are setting up uh, are sourcing workers and selling a service to the to the winery or to the to the vineyard. And for a time, it was seen as being a, a way of certainly um, making get well being less constrained with all the administrative and paperwork, but also with the responsibility of uh, those uh, those workers, those seasonal workers. Um, what happens then is uh, you get people often from Eastern European countries, uh, but also from France and from Spain, uh, um, people who come to Bordeaux to work during those seasons. They come into an environment that they don't know. Sometimes they don't speak the language. They're not aware of any assistance or any help that can be given. And you can imagine, I mean, somebody can get sick and where do they get medical care? And so we've had to respond to all that. It, it's not a matter of regulation. It's more a matter of social pressure. It didn't even come from the workers. It came from neighbor, the neighboring community saying it's absolutely unacceptable to employ people from outside, from other countries, in our Bordeaux vineyards and not take proper care of them. Um, so you've got, when the, the vineyard trying to get away with less constraints, employing a subcontractor, um, regulation is being abided by, but what it is, it's, the, it's society as a whole that says, this isn't right, this just isn't good enough. So there have been new steps uh, taken on. Actually, legislation has become stricter in the sense that uh, if you do employ the services of a subcontractor, the, the vineyard is actually responsible for the working conditions of those people, whether they're employed directly by the vineyard or whether it's via a subcontracting company, so indirectly, but it's still the vineyard who is responsible for the working conditions of anyone on their property. But it's led to taking greater care in providing accommodation, for example. Um, again, the, the law doesn't make it compulsory to provide accommodation, uh, and you've got people from uh, Romania, from Bulgaria, uh, from Spain coming to France with no accommodation. Their aim is to work for several months, months on a trot. Sometimes they're even nomad workers in the sense they live in their own van and they sleep in their own van. And that can all seem very nice and pleasant when it's a sunny evening in the warm temperatures in September. But September can also bring cold temperatures and rainfall that goes on for, for days and days. And again, it wasn't the workers themselves complaining about that, but society saying, you just can't do that. You need to provide proper accommodation for these people. And of course, uh, providing accommodation for accommodation for a team of people who are going to be there for a few weeks turns out to be very expensive. So there are measures now because we have a, a heavy tourism activity and they need accommodation for their own seasonal workers 
but more in the months of July and August, let's say, whereas the vineyards need that accommodation in September and October. So the ways of pooling the requirements and um, working more intelligently, uh, providing accommodation that can be useful for seasonal workers on the coast um, for the summer months, and the same accommodation can be used uh, by seasonal uh, vineyard workers. The other thing is, again, to respond to the fact that uh, sometimes people are in a completely new environment that they don't know, it can even be a different culture. So there have been these guides, uh, these uh, documents, these leaflets that have been uh, printed out in many different languages, uh, giving useful information. Where do I get help if I lose my passport? Uh, where can I get help if I need uh, medical medical care? Uh, the embassy, telephone numbers, uh, people uh, identifying translation agencies that can help in uh, if that is needed and required. And it is quite an extensive leaflet. It's like uh, eight pages long, and that is encouraged, asking the vineyard to distribute it to the seasonal workers in case they need it. And there's also a guide that is issued to the vineyards themselves to make them clearly aware or more, even more aware of their obligations in, in that sense. And what's interesting here is that we're going further than legal requirements because, again, this is a societal requirement and we need to respond to that. Uh, just to be in line with the social requirements uh, generally. So that's what I'd, I wanted to say. Great. Thanks very much indeed, Alan. That's very, uh, very helpful. It's, I think it's, what's also interesting is that it, even in a developed regulator environment, the, the problems don't necessarily go away. Um, and, and I think that's a, a point we always need to bear in mind. Um, number of issues I want to explore in a bit more detail now. Um, which is this question that perhaps feeds on naturally from what you were saying, Alan, about information to workers. It's what can we do, what can be done to allow workers better to have agency, to have leverage, to be able to um, not exactly push themselves forward, but to be able to um, machine for their own for their own rights or for their own improvement of position. Um, you know, you've talked, uh, Alan, just now about how that might work in how that works in, in the Bordeaux area. But um, Emma Rentia, how might that work in 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 the in the vineyards of the Western Cape? Um, if I can give an example, uh, about two Examples years ago, we, <laughs> about two years ago, um, we started vigorously on campaigns with uh, government and um, labor unions to capacitate workers um, to understand their rights and to know their rights. And it was shocking to find so many workers not even being aware of basic rights, not even knowing that they could speak out um, and they could talk if they feel violated, if they feel that um, uh, um, uh, they, their rights um, are being infringed upon. Um, and that, to me, highlighted the fact that there's still a lot of ignorance in the industry as far as we have come as a country, 
uh, in our democracy, people still feel, and especially I find people um, from the previously disadvantaged community um, still feel that they must be quiet, um, they are dependent, um, they are in need, and because of that, they need to accept whatever is handed to them. Um, and I think after those rounds of workshops, a lot of workers, their eyes opened up and they, they realized, but these things actually should not be allowed. Um, they realized they actually have a voice as a worker. And I think it's about really capacitating them to understand how do I use my voice as a worker? How do I um, use the information that I have, the knowledge around my rights and my privileges and um, my responsibilities? How can I use that to actually um, address certain issues? Because we must remember, um, we are not on the farm. Um, we come there on a day or two days and and we leave but it's still the workers on the farm who needs to who needs to address certain issues so i think if we can capacitate our workers and um have um trade unions also supporting uh them then they are better equipped to actually address certain issues in terms of my opinion, I think the best people to really deal with the situations that they are in are the workers themselves, if they are um, capacitated and um, upskilled to actually address these issues. Thanks for that. I mean, that's something we've seen in other supply chains as well, that um, people don't know that there's a better available, so they don't push for it. Um, uh, so a status quo persists. Um, because no one's thought to push for what their rights ought to be. Jimena, coming to you on this one, um, particularly interested in your thoughts about how all this might apply to the issue that you you picked up on, which was the the sort of the grape growers. Um, you know, the, the implication that you, from what you were saying before, is that a generalization, obviously, that that when it comes to the wineries that you're dealing with, practices are. Pretty, pretty decent but there's 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 quite a gap further down the supply chain what to what extent does the sort of thing that alan and um, emerenti have been talking about how might that sort of play into what you're um um you're doing okay uh first just to add one thing to what uh Emerentia mentioned uh Grimm's mechanisms are certainly a key and very powerful tool. I mean, the, the mechanism, uh, grievance mechanisms have to be uh, set in place in order to be available for workers to speak up. That's a very, very important. But, but before that, or maybe together with that, uh, the due diligence approach, I mean, at a, at a legal framework, to me, are the, the very beginning uh, of the solution, because once due diligence becomes an, as an obligation and not as an option for the market, that's when really, um, really when when buyers can trigger the solution because 
And this side of the world, and I think is the same in every side of the world. I mean, companies are not really, uh, I mean, they do, they do not have the resources. And first of all, they feel that they don't have the obligation to do it unless there is a market uh, need. And, and that's when the that's when the challenge, that's when the change will really uh, begin at every sector when when people, uh, I mean, when buyers realize that they cannot make it, make it uh, a buying or a purchasing decision just by the quality and uh, but the quality and the price of the product, but also the human right dimension. Mm-hmm. So that to me, and the European Union is working on that, and and that will real and that that to me will be the the real change. I mean, right now our members they know that they cannot make a decision. <laughs> of buying uh, from a producer just by the price and the quality of a product, but also the human rights and and the environmental aspects as well. That's interesting, because my next question was going to be, I suppose, again, to pick up on a point that Emerenti made, what's the proper role of trades unions in the wine business? But perhaps, um, bearing on what you've just said, perhaps a, a better question is, who are the actors, who are the players in the wine supply chain who are perhaps best placed to exert pressure. And it's interesting, the point Alan was making in his comments, that one of the pressures was effectively local people, you know, the, the, the people living in the towns and the villages near the vineyards, uh, sort of saying, well, actually, you know, we don't, we don't think it's right that those people are treated like that, that they need to be, uh, you know, I've been in Bordeaux in September and October, it can either still be baking hot or it can be bit like the weather is here today in England. Um, so I'd be interested from all of you, who, in order to make these things better, where, who are the players in that supply chain who are, who are best placed to, to make that happen? Al, I'm going to come to you first on this one. Um, there's no doubt that uh, strict legislation does um, make it all compulsory and automatically, if it is in force, um, then uh, it does make changes quite uh, quickly. Um, from a, a social point of view, of course, it's uh, locals, but um, what does push for change is when it's uh, broadcasted nationally and uh, the whole public knows about an identified problem. And of course, uh, from a vineyard point of view, you get the impression that a small problem is is blown out of all proportion because it hits the headlines on national news. And that makes you react very quickly. Um, And on the scale of a a, a whole area, because usually it's not uh, a single case that is broadcasted, it's a a general attitude or a a general way of seeing things. And... uh, I agree with Amina. In terms of awareness, companies very often think, well, what we're doing is plenty. We're doing good and we're we're proud of what we're doing. And sometimes it takes an an external eye to pinpoint certain points. And and certainly when it's uh, uh, shared nationally, amongst people who are outside of the industry, because that's the other point, is very often judgment comes from people who hate, who know nothing about it. And they don't feel they need to know anything about it. They just pinpoint one particular problem and consider that that's unacceptable. 
And so that makes us change and think of solutions. Of course, it takes time, but it does work. No, that's interesting, isn't it? It's it that um, that point sort of came out of the standards discussion that we had an hour or two ago. Um, that actually standards and certification are a good thing um, because it is a way in which it's it's not just about the stick aspect. It's about helping organisers understand, as you say, that you don't always see a problem because it's in front of you day by day. Someone coming in and saying this is a challenge, this needs to be addressed, and that's potentially something that's, that standards processes do. Um, Emerenti, you're obviously dealing with people at the, you know, the, the the base of the of the wine pyramid. If that's not a strange mix of metaphors, um, uh, who do you believe would really the support of which organisations or other players in the supply chain would would most help your work? Um, I was nodding my head when when Alan was talking uh, during the first round because. You know, that is so important. Um, and he was mentioning about communities um, um, that needs to pull together. Um, and that is exactly how it needs to happen. Because at the moment, the worker on the farm field, I'm the only one who's addressing this. I'm not getting the backing. Um, even though there's legislation, it's not being enforced. Even though there's certain standards that... Uh, the um, company needs to apply to uh, it can't oversee everything so there's always that there's always a way around certain rules and regulations and um, uh, people who do not want to abide by the rules will find ways of bypassing it so I think that um, if we approach this holistically, um, each and every person and organization in the industry and apply that kind of pressure, um, and it doesn't become a responsibility of just one organization or just one unit, but it becomes a holistic thing where um, we start to talk to one another and we start um, to have those kind of conversations and applying those kind of pressures, we will definitely see a lot of change. But at the moment, um, what we see is a lot of good being done, but it's happening in silos. Um, and if we continue like this, we're going to find five, 10 years from now, we're still going to have these kind of conversations. Um, so I think it needs to happen um, as a whole um, and not for us single-handedly to deal with um, issues on the farms. That's an interesting point you make. Um, we did a big piece of work, as I mentioned, on, on smallholder farming um, a couple of years ago. And the logic behind that was that each different supply chain, be it cocoa, coffee, vegetables, fruits, always said, oh, we're completely different. We're completely separate. We're, what we do is completely different from everyone else, um, which turned out not to be true. But one description that someone said, it's a bit like we're all on the same Venn diagram, but none of the circles are intersecting. Um, and I and I think that sort of sense of collaboration along the along the supply chain and, and is 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 important. And I think that's certainly something that we want to to do um, with SWR. And that's why events like today, with people coming from many different types of organisations, is I think so valuable. Um, I then wanted to pick up now on 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 one of the points that again it picks up on something you said, um, Emerentia, about legislation is all very well, but it's only any good if it's implemented. 
Um, Alan saying earlier in his comments that legislation, uh, there's sometimes ways around it. I mean, you implied earlier that there were, you know, vineyards are obliged to abide by certain regulations, but historically uh, providers of uh, seasonal labor had not been required to do that, although that has now changed. Um, so it sort of seems clear that legislation doesn't necessarily bake in good practices. Um, so I guess the question is, how does sort of legal requirements and regulation juxtapose with standards certification? How best should those two types of things work together? Um, Jimena, as a representative of a, of a standards related yeah. organization, I'm going to start with you on this. But it's because also at a point that's been made to us about our work on standards is that there is going to be differences between the standards because in some places, you know, for example, what is permitted in California, the regulatory bar will be much higher than it might be somewhere else. So it's how how do we get those things to work together most optimally? Yeah, uh, well, I think that the harmonization of standards is a very important key element. But to me, even more than the harmonization, because I mean, I've seen different standards and one are maybe more, uh, more comprehensive or extended at one point and some other at, at some other point, and they all have slightly difference. But I think that, that as long as all the standards consider human rights, we will have the impact that, that we need uh, on the supply chain. And, and the other element that is very important is monitoring. I mean, there's no way that any sector can get better if there is, uh, if there is no a monitoring process, I mean, following or, or going with, uh, with improvements. Uh, otherwise, I mean, companies, I mean, they can sign, they can, they can have the commitment to comply with a code of conduct, with legislation and so on. But if, but if there is no monitoring, I mean, going through the supply chain, we will not really uh, improve the working conditions. And we also need to keep in mind that due to the, that due to the particular um, characteristic of the wine supply chain that that, that the that the wine is not only what is going on at the winery at the winery itself but also these all these other grape growers that sell uh the the, the grapes so it's very important that we have a multi-tier approach for monitoring uh as as really the key to tackle well, maybe not the whole supply chain, but most of it. And, and we know by, by our experience and the experience of our members and the wine producers that we work with, that the further you go from the wine supply chain, the, the, the more informal the conditions uh, are. So that we, we need to know that, it, that, that the wine sector is not what, what we see at the top part of the iceberg, but really what's it's below. And the below part, I would say that is mainly uh, the grape growers. Thanks for that. Emerenti, I'm going to come to you next on this one. How do you see um, standards certification processes um, fitting in with legal requirements? Because there's, there's also uh, an argument for, from a sort of public policy perspective that the potential challenge of having private sector standards is it takes pressure off government to improve its own practices. Um, you know, if you've got, for example, in so, somewhere like South Africa, a situation where you've got a lack of capacity in government to properly implement legislation, if they know that that job's going to be done by a standard, mm -hmm. the inclination that they have to do something about it may go away. So I'd be interested 
in, in your perspective on that? It's um, interesting that you mentioned that because I think um, during the COVID season, you know, when the wine industry was going through such um, a dip um, and um, producers were very concerned because of the losses, none of those um, farms that are certified, um, if I can make an example about fair trade, had any issues around labour, uh, uh, um, around um, layoffs and the Department of Labor at one uh, uh, meeting um, indicated that you know to them it's 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 good because they haven't had any incidents from farm certified but it is like you say it's kind of like now there's a sit back because this farm is certified so we pay less attention but there are still other issues that needs an attention so unless as i've stated earlier on unless we really sit down together and really plan together and say how do we complement what needs to be done on the ground we are not going to be able to to win the battle uh, when it comes to the situations that we are still experiencing after so many years. Um, it's a huge elephant. Um, and I think we don't, we shouldn't look at it holistically, but really look at it, start somewhere and start with uh, certain tasks and work your way up. Because if we try to do everything at once, we will, find it's overwhelming and you will find people become discouraged and um, you won't move move further. So I think holistically we need to take hands and we really need to sit together as organizations and government and trade unions as all the role players in the industry mm -hmm. as well as producers to say where are the hiccups and why is it that things like this is still happening and why is it that it is difficult to move away from it and how can we really work together to make things work? I think that's good advice, isn't it? That, that, that if you seek to address a whole problem, then it sometimes seems too big and too hairy and too scary to, to do anything about. But if you start to um, dig away piece by piece, then it's, it's A, it becomes more doable. But secondly, by addressing one small part of the problem, you often develop approaches and methodologies that can then be used for you know, for everything else, it's the old saying about how do you eat an elephant one spoonful at a time? Um, and I think that, that, that that's good advice. Alan, coming to you on this one, um, according to some of the comments you were making earlier, as you say, that the, the, the legal structures in France are extremely strong, but it, it, it has seemed that that's not been the entire solution to the problem. Um, so I'd be interested coming from a, you know, very much more uh, regulate, developed administrative uh, jurisdiction in terms of regulation. Um, I'd be interested in on your view of the, the, the sort of relative balance between the regulatory requirements, but awareness in the in the business and the use of standards to, to buttress that. No, of course. So the, the basic requirement is any, any certification is that you have to first comply with the law and any legal obligations. And as those are quite extensive and uh, quite a high standard already, it guarantees at least that base. But uh, no, you're right, it's not enough. Um, and in response of that uh, massive elephant that we need to engage in change, what we've de developed here in Bordeaux 
is our very own uh, corporate uh, social responsibility and how do we bring the whole wine trade to evolve on a number of issues. And the way we've tried to address that, um, of, and of course, there's everything to do with the environment and reducing the use of uh, pesticides and reducing water consumption, everything to do with biodiversity, carbon footprint. But there's also a very heavy uh, employment and social uh, side of things. So the way we, we've done that is, uh, is to create, open up, groups of 20 different uh, companies, and they can be uh, wineries, they can be uh, vineyards, they can be uh, wine merchants, to work together. And there's a whole grid of different points, and they work together to find ways of addressing the different points to raise and improve what is happening with their own company. And so that's the way we found to address the issue because there are such diverse situations in Bordeaux between the very small uh, family-owned uh, vineyard in a relatively modest appellation right to very big vineyards and also very prestigious ones. Um, so to enable all that to work and enact together, uh, this is... The, the, so the Bordeaux Wine Council has developed this. It was tested with the first group of 20 companies and now it's been properly tested and now it's formatted and being deployed on a, on a larger scale. And the idea there is, is not to reach a given level, but always in, aiming for improvement. So what we've identified is three levels. So, of course, first, you have to comply with uh, legal requirements. And there's a first and a second and a third level. And each time you address these different issues and according to the measures that you're implementing, you gain points and that gives you access to level one, level two, level three. Uh, and we find that's a way where there's no um, obligation. It's not compulsory but it's a tool for everyone who can use that to improve um, what goes on in his own company. So the idea is, as you were saying, Peter, is, is to break things down to things that are manageable, uh, address those issues, improve them, and then you can carry on. Okay, great. Thanks for that. Um, what I want to turn to next is... Um, so what are the gaps, the lacunae? Um, I mean, Jimena's already talked about um, the fact that um, workers uh, working in grape growing areas have tended to be ignored. Um, Alan, you talked about the fact that you'd had, um, as it were, mechanisms to hire seasonal staff that had avoided the legal requirements. I want to ask each of you. Actually, sorry, Peter, that they didn't avoid legal requirements because those employees were um, constrained by those requirements. It's only the, the vineyard felt okay. he was uh, delegating the responsibility okay. to the company he was hiring, 
But uh, now what legislation is saying that he's not delegating that responsibility is still his full responsibility. OK, thanks for clarifying that point, Alan. Um, but I, I'd like to ask you, where are the where are the gaps? Where are the things that looking at the whole of a, of a, of a wine supply chain from, you know, from the point at which the, the, the grape is in the ground to the point at which um, the the bottle or whatever other form of packaging is 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 in the shop what what, what do you worry about most where where are the, where are the things that you know especially from our perspective at SWR where where might some of the gaps be Alan as you're as you're there I'll start with you on that one well I feel the I mean it's not a it's not so much a gap I think I agree with what was said this is the the, the critical side is uh, vineyard workers. Um, and our main issue there is how do we ensure the continuity of supply of vineyard workers? Um, of course, they need, to be, uh, they need to be trained. And how do we make vineyard workers, work, work, vineyard work, seem attractive to the new generation? We're faced with uh, an aging of that population um, and there again, it, it is very tiresome, it can be very hard work, and very often people, they reach retirement age, they started working young, and they reach retirement age relatively early, um, and then they need to be replaced, and we're having difficulty today in ensuring that replacement. So it's, it's less, I think, uh, so that comes back to the attractiveness of, uh, of the work, uh, how do we make it more attractive? How we need to improve conditions to improve the attractiveness of that work. I think that's an interesting point, isn't it? Because at the very base, sustainability is is literally existential. That if you don't have those things which allow you to sustain as an industry, then all the rest of it is moot. And you see this in cocoa. Um, you know, there's the average age of a of a cocoa worker is fifty seven. The average age of life expectancy in West Africa is 62. Um, so there is actually an existential threat to, to the industry. Um, Emerentia, I'm going to come to you on this question. You, what, what, which areas of the supply chain within wine keep you awake at night in terms of issues you don't think have yet been properly surfaced and, and addressed? Um, yes, I think the issues around the workers remains a a burning issue but remains a concern and I think we need to start looking at human rights due diligence in order to make sure that it is addressed and touched on throughout the supply chain. Um, as I mentioned before um, it is something that cannot just be done by one organization or one person but it needs to be done holistically. Um, the issues around um, farm workers not being able to show anything for their years of service, you know, when they, they walk out or when they need to leave the farm, that, that is a huge concern for me. Um, and the fact that workers perceive not having a future in the industry. So when they walk in as a general worker, uh, you, you have workers working on a farm for 25, 30 years and still being a general worker. Um, their children sees it. Um, they don't see a future for themselves. 
So those are the kind of things that I think that is where we really need to pay attention to and we really need to start talking to, uh, to those kind of issues. Thanks. That's a that's 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 important. Very very important. I mean, it's interesting. You know, in fact, it reflects the same issue that Alan was picking up on. That if the people that are going out of the business are not seen to be valued, then why would people go into it? Um, so so it, it's it's sort of the other end of the same question. Jimena, you've already mentioned what wine grows. Are, are other areas that that potentially of, of of concern to you? I mean, you've talked a lot about the supply, the rest of the supply chain. What what are the issues that are of concern to you? <clears throat> well, yeah, I, I agree with Alan and with Emerentia. Definitely, uh, the the lack of workers. I mean, the the future uh, of the farms it's 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 not very uh, attract attractive for for the next generations. And I see that as a common element, not only in Latin America, but 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 also in other parts of, of the world and and definitely the situation of migrant workers it's a very important challenge that we see uh, that that is also everywhere in Latin America well we we don't get uh, migrant workers from from Africa of course because we are we are too far away but we do have that situation uh, with with workers coming uh, from Haiti and and also from from Venezuela I mean the Venezuela, um, migration is the second largest one uh, in the world, according to IOM. IOM M. So that's also a, a challenge, and and we're and, and at least in Latin America, we, we are not prepared. We don't have the resources, and and migrant workers are very vulnerable. Uh, you don't see them uh, as much as many uh, at the wine sector. Yet, but, but we know that that we need to be uh, aware, and it's also a challenge for the rest of the sectors. I mean, e even though the the wine sector, um, it's not a, it's not part of the uh, of the challenge yet, but it is in other countries as as is as it is in in Italy, for example. There is an important number of migrant workers from from Africa working working at the. Um, uh, at the wine sector. Great, thanks for that, Jimena. Um, well, that brings us to the uh, close of our session um, at ten to the hour. I can't say ten to five because, of course, it's ten to five for me, but ten to mm. something else for for lots of the rest of you. <clears throat> um, I think what's clear from the session we've had so far is that there's there's almost the social side, the human side of the wine sector, all too often gets um, neglected. That there's a lot of focus on the environmental side of things climate change all of those things but from what all three speakers have said in 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 their last remarks is that that unless the work the position of workers in the in the sector is is main, is improved there may not be a wine industry simply because there won't be the people to sustain it so you know i think what we've done here hopefully is to is to focus on an issue that's of, of considerable importance thanks everyone for coming uh thanks to emma Rentier, to jimena and to alan for for their you know, really fascinating insight